Welcome to this Talk at Home podcast. This podcast will feature the stories of 40 freelancers and people working from home during the coronavirus crisis. One conversation every day for 40 days. Hello. How's it going, Carlos? Hey, man, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Awesome to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too. It's been, it's been a long time. I can't even believe how fast the time flies. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, when was that trip where we met? <laughs> was that like in 2014? I think it was. I was going to say, I think it was 2014. That's crazy. It's really crazy. It really is. What have you been up to since? Well, been been working, also some some traveling around, um, and uh, just that's starting awesome. some, some creative projects here and there. Nice. I was gonna say that's what you did before, right? Some uh, it was translation or technical writing. Yeah, it was translation and interpretation of, no, like live interpretation of conferences and calls and all that. Gotcha. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. How about you? You've been uh, creating companies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whenever we met, I was working at Tech Shop. Um, I yeah. ran that for three years. Then I uh, developed a product and got crowdfunding for it to bootstrap it, got it mass produced and sell it all over the world. Um, and then now I work for a company called Innovation Works, which is a seed stage investor initially, but now we also run two accelerator programs uh, and I manage their manufacturing programs. So essentially trying to help work with both entrepreneurs and manufacturers in my region in particular to try to connect dots and get people to work together. Uh, That's awesome. And uh, are you based in Pittsburgh? Yes. Yep, yeah. that's for Pennsylvania. And how are things going with uh, with this coronavirus situation over there? It's not too bad here uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, we kind of statewide pretty much implemented the work from home slash closing of non-essential businesses two weeks ago. It was like mm-hmm. late Sunday night, I think, two weeks ago. And yeah, so- yeah, so it hasn't gotten so bad here. We're also kind of out of the way because New York City has gotten to be the worst, but it's so connected all up and down the eastern seaboard that mm-hmm. it's kind of growing in that region, whereas we're a little bit more isolated from it. And so now that most of the air travel has also been slowed down or shut down, there's I don't think there's much of a chance for it to spread as long as people keep distancing yeah so in general like the businesses are still running and normal life is still kind of going on i mean besides non-essential businesses being like shut down for a while yeah so that's a good point i guess it's um not very clear the uh are so non-essential businesses are pretty much all bars and restaurants and gyms and leisure type businesses so the only thing that's really open right now in our area and has been for like the last week and a half i'd say are like grocery stores uh even all of the schools have sent sent the kids home 
all the way through, you know, secondary education and all of the local colleges. Um, yeah, most most businesses that can't work remotely have completely shut down. Yeah. So some of the manufacturers that I work with are considered essential businesses, like machine shops. If they have a significant portion of their business that serves uh, infrastructure like utilities or medicine or anything like that, they'll still be open, but other other ones are not. So it's mm. it's kind of a hit or miss, but definitely most people are pretty much staying home. And how are you, uh, like your business and the company you're working right now for, uh, how are you handling that? Um, I mean, I bet you have a lot of, or I mean, you, I think you told me on one of your messages that there are some freelancers going, I mean, working for you. So how, how are they handling it? Like, are they going to work still or can you manage like a long, long distance operation? Yeah, so... From, from my work at Tech Shop, that's really what kind of developed or began the development of my local professional network here of uh, entrepreneurs, startups, manufacturers, artisans, artists, freelancers, all kinds of different people who generally either flocked to and used the makerspace, um, which I'm not sure if your audience would be familiar with that term but no please, uh, please explain it yeah I, i'm not really sure what it means really i just know that there are some machines involved but can you explain what it is yeah so a makerspace is also known as a hacker space or a fab lab or there's all kinds of different names for it but it's essentially a co-working space it's a community space that anybody can have access to and and all they have to do is have a membership and then they can have access to the space. And then what's in the space is kind of defined by each particular space. So a co-working space is mostly just desks, printers, phone booths, conference rooms, very much like office work type stuff. Mm -hmm. But a makerspace is like that, except instead of just conference rooms and office work, it's also like a full wood shop and a full machine shop and metal shop, welding, 3D printing, laser cutters, electronics lab, Uh, textile studio that was that's the ambitious the largest types of maker spaces will have all of that stuff so that you can pretty much prototype or produce in small quantities just about any kind of physical good mm -hmm. yeah. and that's so that was what tech shop was it was one of the largest maker spaces that existed and it was the only one that ever went to be international or spread to beyond two locations i think Uh, before it, it went bankrupt eventually after I left. Um, oh. but, but what kind of happened was they, they, ran, they, they ran the business into the ground because they were too dead set on expansion. Uh, they wanted to be the sort of Kleenex brand of makerspaces. Mm -hmm. So people knew them, knew makerspaces as tech shops instead of makerspaces. They did not succeed in doing so. They just kind of went bust instead. <laughs> but oh, <laughs> but they, um, as a result, that community of makers uh, and artisans, freelancers that worked out of that space, kind of migrated to other different spaces. And this happened back in November of 2017. It went bankrupt and kind of booted everybody out, but we had a heads up because they were going to close the Pittsburgh location in September. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those 
those individuals and artists and freelancers ended up finding alternative studios. So a lot of those people are okay right now because they still work alone, mostly out of their shop and they can produce their goods, but they've, it will become a bigger impact to a lot of them because a lot of them rely on, um, essentially like trade shows or street fairs and stuff like that to sell their wares. Yeah. It's now starting to get warmer when all of these shows would start happening, but that remains to be seen. The people who have online stores, I think are doing okay, but it really depends on how robust their audience is. So for people, particularly like myself, actually my business, because now I have, uh, a day job and it takes up so much of my time I've been mostly just relying on Amazon sales for the bulk of my business Mm -hmm. and so I don't have a lot of control over how many people see it and how many people are ready or willing or able to buy right now and so my sales have kind of gone down and in addition to that I can't it's kind of it's a funny catch-22 you sell more on Amazon if you let Amazon fulfill it Um, which means you have to send inventory to them in advance before it's sold. And then they ship it out from their warehouse uh, to to the customer. And so Amazon penalizes people who don't do that in their algorithm, people who just sell it on Amazon and then ship it directly from their own kind of warehouse. Okay. Because they want to control as much of the supply chain as possible. Now that Amazon is overwhelmed with requests for, food and the healthcare supplies and cleaning supplies and like all of these things that are essential to sort of fighting the pandemic. Amazon has shut down all inbound inventory of anything that's not kind of deemed an essential product like yeah. mine. So it's, it's just whatever inventory is there. And then they're like, oh, but you could still fulfill from home. <laughs> but yet it's, it's kind of penalizing the sales regardless. So, wow. That's well, it, it looks like, uh, yeah, like this situation is going to force everyone to to go online. Like right, right now, everyone who is like a producer or a maker of things, which is the bulk of the things that you work with and the people that you work with, they now need to make that shift, right? Like, do, do you think that that is going to change the face of of work from from now on? Like people are going to just open their online store and uh, I mean, and see what happens. I think, uh, yes, I think, I mean, it's funny because a lot of those types of entrepreneurs that are friends of mine or people that I've worked with are, have always been kind of hesitant to set up online stores and spend a lot of effort and time Mm -hmm. with online businesses because what really gives them joy in their activity is making the thing making their product and this just kind of takes them away from that and gets them on the computer so i think in some ways it was always the smart thing to do because that's the inevitable direction things were going and this is now just accelerating it and giving more people a chance to uh do that now a lot of a lot of the creators that i know also have some component of their business or their their income as freelancers that they are teaching artists 
So they either teach their own classes in their own studios or teach for other people. And so now all of those businesses or all of that portion of their revenue is kind of on hold because nobody's allowed to gather. And some of them are beginning to turn to figuring out how to do digital and online courses, which has always been a source of revenue that's been growing for people, but it's very much a, a niche industry. Like the type of people generally who have been doing online courses are the office worker types. People like, uh, let's teach pro product management or project management, or how do you use Adobe Illustrator or things that kind of lend themselves to, you have to be on a computer anyway, so it's mm -hmm. easier. Now, I, th I believe that that was always going to be a trend where it's, if you're able to take your knowledge and your craft in the, from the physical world and scale it in the digital world, you have a lot, much larger audience and potential for the scale of that. And so again, I think it's the, it was always the right thing to do. And now it's kind of incentivizing people to move that up their priority list. Yeah. So uh, what do you think are the lessons that uh, will be learned after this? I mean, we don't even know when that after will be, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but, but what do you think will be like a good lesson in terms of the work discipline and the work, uh, you know, planning that goes into trying to whatever scale your product or create anything. What do you think, where do you see this going in terms of lessons for the future? Mm, that's a great question. I think, I think it's always a good idea to have a balance of revenue streams, uh, mm. because you can always then pivot your attention. To different sizes of customers, types of customers, channels for reaching them. And so having that flexibility is what makes a, uh, one particular business more resilient than another. And I think that that's a fundamental lesson, which is now becoming more apparent and that the internet in particular will be one of the, continue to be one of the major opportunities for growth and development uh, amongst everyone. But I think another interesting lesson too is for some of the larger businesses that I work with, um, they have transitioned all of their workforce to being remote, which they'd always been hesitant to do just because of some sort of Luddite, uh, like eh, historical, like slow moving attitude. And now that they're doing it, the out of necessity, if they don't have any tangible reason to point to um, yeah. it being bad, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to transition back to like my, uh, my older sister works for a major bank here and mm -hmm. they used to have it so that every group only allowed each employee in the group to work from home once per month. And now everybody in the entire like 30,000 person company is working remote. Yeah. And there's no hiccups or like real <laughs> serious hindrance. Mm -hmm. So the, the change in culture is going to be huge going back to that afterwards, um, where it'll be very interesting to see what happens um, 
if they try to force people to only going back to like one time a month or if they're more liberal with it or if they're completely free with it. And one of the really interesting things that's going on right now is pollution. Um, like yeah. pollution and greenhouse gas emissions are down significantly. And so there, there will be a measurable positive effect that comes out of this. Um, and how, yeah. how long that kind of maintains or to what extent that is maintained will be an interesting thing to see. Yeah, totally. I, I also believe that uh, there will be a lot of very important lessons. I mean, of course, all things considered with how tragic it is going to be for a lot of people, right? Like they, many people that don't have any other way to to bring their jobs online or that, or, you know, they live pay, paycheck to paycheck and stuff like that. But of course, putting that on, on one side, the, the other part of, of what's coming out of this situation is that I do believe that the work culture is going to change a lot. Like a lot of companies, like you said, are going to realize that they could have done this all along, right? Like this is this actually going to change the way they manage their workers, they manage their the workflow and all of that. And just the added benefit of, of pollution being reduced and the climate awareness that could also bring uh and you mean i mean come to to people's consciousness now because oh we actually having all of these long commutes and people in their cars was creating all of this trouble and uh, they could have been you know working from home so i think that that is also a big a big lesson that's coming out of this of course considering many other people that might not even be able to have that opportunity but yeah yeah it's a tough situation and in fitness too because uh, it's kind of returning that hour to two hours that some people have from their commute back to individuals, at least here in the U.S. where, or in my region in particular, where pretty much everybody drives to work. So during that mm -hmm. time, they can't really do anything. And now they suddenly have an extra one to two hours in their day. And yeah. people are using that to cook more, to be more healthy to go on walks i can't tell you how many people i see walking now just because they need to get out of their house and that's yeah. in the u.s a particularly major issue is that one third of the u.s like over 100 million people are diabetic or pre-diabetic and so that's an enormous figure that if you can make even a small dent in that that'll be a huge impact but you're right, for the, the people who can't work or can't transition online, it is very difficult. And I have a few friends that are kind of in that position. And there's the U.S. has done uh, some stimulus packages right now to try to do loan forgiveness for small businesses. So yeah. essentially, you can get a you can apply for a loan. And I believe there's no fee on the loan and no interest is acquired on payroll. So essentially it behooves you to try to, it behooves small businesses to try to figure out a way to find their something for their employees to do because they can keep paying them even if they're not able to come in and because the, it's free money essentially for the business. Yeah. 
And another thing that has been happening in the makerspace in particular. So when TechShop went bankrupt, uh, a bunch of the members kind of got together and we formed a nonprofit called Protohaven and got all of TechShop's old equipment and formed this like kind of scrappy space that doesn't have any real employees or at least didn't until very recently. And that's where a lot of these people have started to work out of, but they had to close because they were a non-essential business. And something that has been been taking a good amount of my time is to try to help these businesses and manufacturers and entrepreneurs to kind of come together and use their skills that they're not able to use for their own freelancing to solve some of these problems. In particular, the big one is the personal protective equipment is in very short supply in the US. So coming with a way up with ways to manufacture it locally. And I have several friends who aren't able to really work on their own projects at Proto Haven right now, but they've been kind of enrolled in the effort of making protective equipment for medical workers here in the city uh, using Protohaven and that allowed Protohaven to keep open in some limited capacity because by doing that type of work, they are now an essential business. Wow, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah, so that's, there's some, there's also still, I feel some hope out there for people who are, maybe can't do their work is to think about ways to pivot into another sort of, essential task for the, the problem at hand right now. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people who are not able to go to the store and get food, um, but if you have a bike or you can walk to a store, you can deliver food. I don't know about what it's like uh, in Mexico, but with like Uber Eats and DoorDash and there's all these different mm. meal delivery like or pickup services. Yeah. A lot of local restaurants around here too that never had delivery are now scrambling to try to add it and so there's a there's ways to get um potential short-term work that is directly resulting of the out of this uh tragedy yeah whenever there's this kind of problems there's always you know the opportunity of trying to make the most of it or at least try to solve uh, a little piece of the whole problem and uh, that's really good advice actually uh, listen Matt thank you thank you very much for your time this was uh, very very informative and I, I believe useful for whoever listens there are a lot of I bet some freelancers that will listen to this and this might give them some ideas to how to spend their time or to pivot to to some other productive area Yeah, thanks for having me, Carlos. This is a really, really great idea, and I appreciate you thinking of me and reaching out.